The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by Tote. Bet with Tote and support racing in the UK and Ireland. Weekend preview is really a Cheltenham preview and Cheltenham Saturday. Um, it's Emish Kennedy, Kay Tracy and Rory Delargy marking your card for the 12.05 right through to the 3.35 on Saturday at Cheltenham. Last meeting of the year at Cheltenham, but then again, seeing as we're racing there on New Year's Day, that's not really that long. So let's not dwell on that, shall we? Uh, we'll begin with the JCB Triumphurtle Trial uh, for juveniles, shockingly. Adagio, who we talked up on the podcast not so long ago, is uh, currently favoured for the race. Whether he shall still be favoured for the off remains to be seen, but it's currently uh, two to one. Second favourite, Elam Valley at fours. And Kate, that is pretty much where you're looking right now. Yeah, it is. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not overly enamoured about this race as a juvenile hurdle for all that we have plenty of winners in this lineup, but I'm yet to really be blown away by any of them so far to that to, to that extent uh, or to at least the extent that I've been impressed by the likes of you know the Zanahir's Quilixios's the NASA Lambs so one of these yeah I mean of course it's still early days they are only juveniles who continue to come to themselves so there could well be a runner in this who's going to take that next step up and really assert their credentials in this race and I'm looking forward to that possibility and I know that you're keen on Adagio there at the head of the market the only caution I have in the back of my mind is that he was second to Duffelcoat last time out and they went fairly quick on the front end I mean hence why Duffelcoat was totally outpaced for most of the race but Adagio himself was pretty well positioned in midfield managed to get the better part of the ground and still was beaten five lengths by Duffelcoat who I, I would be chancing to win here but I just have that caution in the back of my mind that because of his positioning and he still was just five lengths behind so I'm going to take him on here with Fergal O'Brien's runner with Ellen Valley. He wasn't the most prolific on the flat in this race, just had a rating of 78 as his highest mark in September, but you had to be taken by his win last Saturday. That was his hurdle debut at Sandown, and for all that the very steady pace didn't suit many of the runners, probably most significantly Paros, who was the 4-7 favourite and was just way too keen, but Ellen Valley, he was keen enough himself at the slow pace. It also didn't help his jumping early on either. He was sort of ballooning a few, almost jumping into the back of rivals, but he was best positioned, turning into a home straight, could easily have been put into a similar pocket as Nico de Boinville found himself on the odds on favourite, but pulled out a challenge probably earlier than ideal, but it worked out great. He ran through the line really impressively. So it is a quick enough turnaround for a juvenile on a, just a second hurdle start, but he already has six runs on the flat this season prior to last time out, so it shouldn't hinder him too much. With no ideal conditions here, or conditions at least that will suit. And I think a better pace to aim at will also see him in a better light as well. So I'll take on the favourite with Ellen Valley. Ellen Valley for Kate. Rory, for you? I Again, I'll take on um, um, Adagio at the prices. Um, not not with a, a massive degree of confidence. I think he was helped by being held up with Duffelcoat in that race at Cheltenham last time. Um, but, you know, it was grade two and he's finished a clear second. I, d- I don't think it was a huge amount of depth to that contest. Hasn't really been tested since. The only um, horse to have come out of that was um, Alexandra Dunn's um, thing that was last again. Um, at Fakenham, so difficult, difficult form to read. Um, but I thought um, there'd be improvement to come from Son of Red. I liked the race he was in at Newcastle um, last time out. Again, he was nothing special on the flat. He was a winner off a mark of sixty um, on the fibre sand at Sutherland in October. 
And it was turned out reasonably quickly, only a few weeks after that, for his hurdles debut. And I, I laid him um, at Newcastle, thinking that he had a, a decent one um, in the shape of State Crown of Evan Williams's um, to beat. And Castle Gondolf also for, for oh, Fergal the Bryan's in there. Um, looked like they would have his measure in terms of, of um, previous hurdling experience and flat form. Um, but Son of Red was very was very impressive in the end. And not the first time that Alan King has made a, a fairly moderate flat horse look like a better class hurdler. Um, Travelled well, um, enjoyed himself, jumped pretty well on the whole, and always looked like he was going to get the better of um, of State Crown, um, who I was with that day. So I was a little bit annoyed by the results. Um, but clearly, uh, he's a horse with a with a, a fair bit of ability, uh, more so than his um, his flat form would suggest. And of course, he was he was a winner in the flat, so you know he was perfectly genuine. Um, and he took to hurdling very well. Never traded um, more than a tick or two above his pre race price in that Newcastle race. Stays two miles well, obviously as you have to at uh, Newcastle. Um, and he's bound to do better, given that was his you know. <laughs> He clearly was well-schooled and well-forward for that, but I'd be disappointed if he didn't improve for it. And, and he's typical of the kind of horse that Alan King has brought to races like this in the past. So I thought he would um, would improve enough to um, uh, to go close to beating Adagio here. There's only there's really only a few pounds between them um, on paper anyway. He's got to give three pounds. That's it's worth saying that Adagio actually receives three pounds from both um, Ellen Valley and Son of Red. Um, and that will probably make him a reasonably strong favourite, but... There's improvement to come in the once raced hurdlers. Um, and that makes me think that Daggio might prove vulnerable. All right. Um, ganging up on me against uh, Daggio. I suspect that we're all, though, in favor of Shandry House winning the now pathetically uh, small field race at uh, the 1240. Uh, all in favor that Shandry House wins, say aye. 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 Uh, I don't know. I always like it whenever you decide that we're all going to agree. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine to disagree just for the hell of it. Um, you think you're going to run two here? Do you think? Probably. Yeah, you'll probably run. You'll probably run Fusel. Fusel Raffles was disappointing last time, I, and I was impressed with him on Chase debut. Um, and what he needs is this step up and trip. Um, he was really shown up for not being able to go the pace um, set by Gumball last time out and he made a series of mistakes. I thought his jumping was actually very good um, on his chase debut at Cheltenham, but he was able to um, to race behind a slower pace that day, measure his fence as well. Just taking off his feet, really, next time. Once you start making, once you make your first mistake um, when they're going too quick for you, it's very, very difficult then to get back on an even keel. Clearly, you know, um, on form, he can't beat Caldestan from that, who was, who was second in the end to El Dorado Allen. Of course, um, Gumball, um, seem to have the race and see of keeping him coming down at the second last. Um, and you get a price on Fusil Raffles after the disappointing effort. Um, but I'm, I'm convinced that the longer trip, and obviously this, this, the slower pace they're going to go in this anyway, because it's a small field race, will be right up his street. And although he's, he probably lacks the scope of Chantry House, who, who's always looked to chase her, he does actually have better form in the book, um, strictly speaking. Chantry House wasn't... wasn't um, uh, massively pressed to win easily on his his debut, but he, he didn't have an awful lot to beat in the end at Ascot because um, the Nichols horse, who was still travelling well, came down at the third last. Um, we don't know what Big Dory would have found there, um, but he wasn't off the bridle at the stage when Chantry House moved up, and then up the straight, um, who tried to keep um, keep tabs on them, um, weakened from that stage. Um, 
but I, I didn't think Chantry House was perfect. You know, it was it was largely an impressive performance, but it's only a three-runner race. The, I thought the other two both out-jumped him marginally. I mean, he didn't jump badly, but he was a little bit careful at his fences, and uh, I wouldn't take for granted that he will he will uh, jump without blemish here at Cheltenham. So he is the likelier winner, but at the same time, I think the prices will will overcompensate for that. And while it's arguable that Darrell Jacob will be looking to restore confidence in Fusil Raffles, I shouldn't think that'll be a terribly difficult job to do. And he, he could spring a small shock here. As I said, there's there's not there's nothing between them on form. And um, we just all expect Chantry House to be massively progressive from here. And um, I think most people think that Fusil Raffles might end up disappointing as he ended up doing over hurdles. But I, I wouldn't write him off after that one run. Uh, I thought he looked to have plenty of scope first time out. Okay. Well, currently Fussel is priced at 130, whereas Chantry House is 8 to 11. What price is Keldestan? Keldestan is also 130. Yeah. Well, um, it'd be interesting to see how the pair of them shape up, but obviously Keldestan was second in that race. And had uh, Fussel Raffles finished, he'd have been tailed off last of six or last last of five to finish if he if he hadn't pulled up uh, and on that form he'd have something to find with Keldestan so I kind of hope they make Keldestan Keldestan's second favourite because um, that would tempt me more into Fusil Raffles but the, the, the prices at the moment are equivocating about how to read that form um, so hopefully you have this second string um, scenario that comes through when people look at a race See a trainer's got two horses, want to find out which is the really fancied one and completely ignore the second one. They don't take people refuse to believe that a trainer is trying with two horses in a race. Um, <laughs> and what happens is one ends up going off too short, one ends up going off too big. The shorter price one wins more often, but if you back the outsider with most big stables, if you back the outsider off their runners, you make money in this kind of scenario, you make money. Mm. Richard Hannon in the flats, um, the Godolphin. Um, when when dear old Ahmed Ashtabi was riding a second jockey, one of the worst jockeys I've ever seen in my life. But if you backed him blind, <laughs> if you backed him blind, you'd have made absolute fortunes. Whatever he rode was a second string. It was always a five million quid purchase, bred in the purple. He would go off at a big price, and quite a lot of the time we would win because it was a case of pointing it in the right direction. So it was a lesson to be learned there. I don't think that's terribly harsh on Ahmed, is it? <laughs> it, c- it could have been harsher. <laughs> could it? Could it? The worst jockey Someone, you'll ever see in your life. <laughs> the worst jockey you'll ever see in your life. That could have been harsher. Could it? Well, you know, it's it's easy it's easy finding worst jockeys. In <laughs> fairness, but you know, for for a jo- for a jockey to, in that kind of position. He was he was um, not one of the most talented. He was fine on a camel. I gather he was grand on a camel. Um, but um, then uh, then he started putting robot robot monkeys on them instead, and that was his career over. Uh, we just stepped into the twilight zone. What's happening? I have no idea what the hell is going on. <laughs> robot monkeys. The robot monkeys thing as well. Robot monkeys are slightly robots is true. They 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 passed a law saying it was un, unfair to have um, have children riding in camel races. Always children riding in camel races, so they decided to develop robots to ride the camels instead. 
God, modern technology. This, is not some, this may be a weird dream I've had, but I'm pretty sure it's true. <laughs> I, I kind of want to Google that, but at I know, the same I time. I see this right now. <laughs> but but at this, Google it after I've picked my children up. Yeah, yeah but on. at the same time, I also don't want Google going, are you okay? Do you, do you need a hog? No do one checked my you, search history. <laughs> do, do you need the men in white coats to, to come to your place? Because that probably is already the case as things stand without... If you type camel jockey into Google, <laughs> you get two, right, you get two interesting things. Camel jockey child trafficking and camel oh. jockey robots. For two, for two leading stories. Well, that took a twist. And um, remote controlled oh camel jockeys replace children. They actually dress them up as jockeys. They do, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't realise that. I thought it might be a little thing. Then why have they got a stick in their hand? Well, because you can't ban the whip, can you? No, yeah, yeah. You can <laughs> you ban ruin the sport. Not the whip. <laughs> you can ban people. You can't ban the whip. You're not taking our whip. Another reason to ask questions of a certain a certain area in um, the Middle East. Uh, anything that you'd like to add, Kate Tracy? Uh, just, I was interested to know if... Where's the Vice documentary on robot monkeys? <laughs> yeah, if I can get this on Netflix. Um, yeah. No, if uh, with you saw Raffles, Rory, are you concerned at all about the rain that's coming, that he's not as effective if the ground does? I, I mean, I'm imagining... What, well, what are you imagining the ground to be like with the rain? I well, mean, that's I, we'll, we'll, we'll find out tomorrow. I'm always a little bit, mm. always a little bit wary of, of advanced going descriptions at Cheltenham. Yeah, um, it says. It tends to be, I always get the impression it's kind of um, reverse engineered, so that you say that the grind is X midweek because you want it to be Y at the weekend, yeah. and there should be a logical, a logical um, uh, journey between one and the other. Um, yeah, and um, that that concerns me. I think sometimes I, there was one meeting at Cheltenham where they're expecting loads of rain um, at the start of the week, so the advance going was. Good, good to firm in places or something on the moon. Ah, range. Course, yeah. Then the rain didn't arrive at all. And the, the, when the forecast changed in the middle of the week, there's not going to be any rain at all now. So the going then changed without any watering from good, good to firm in places to good to soft, soft in places. <laughs> it's like, that's rather strange, isn't it? How does that happen? <laughs> it's just because, well, I mean, I can't say that's that's definitely the case because that, be, um, that would be getting me in Simon Place's bad books. But you do kind of get the impression that it's all about making trainers look at it and go, oh, that'll be fine for Saturday then and, and maximising the uh, the runners. So I'd be wary of calling the ground at Cheltenham until I see how it rides tomorrow. Yeah. It's um, essentially a product, isn't it, at the end of the day, yeah. the ground? Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm what I, yes, it's, 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 it's a marketing ploy as much mm. as anything, isn't it? Um, so uh, when I looked at this early in the week and tried to, tried to decide what I thought it was going to be like, I didn't think it would be terribly testing. Yeah, um, but obviously the, the the forecast has changed marginally since then. I don't think it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be deep ground. Um, you know, I'd be I'd be disappointed if it turned close to heavy. Mm. Um, but then again, this is something that Alan King had a, had a massive rant about this at the last meeting. He said Cheltenham really need to sort themselves out. They're so desperate to get good good soft ground for the October fixture, which isn't that important. Um, that they put far too much water on. And then in November, before winter has even started, he said, you end up getting desperate winter grounds. And if they just left the watering alone, you'd have 
you'd have small feels for the October meeting because the crime would be on the fast side um, as a general rule. But at least in November, you'd have good winter crime for these horses to race on. Uh, and he said, you know, the last meeting, and you couldn't really argue with it. He's right. Withdrawal. The grind was awful. And the grind turns awful quite quickly at Cheltenham when it rains. Um, and I think that is something that needs to be tackled. And sure, half the runners at that at that first October meeting are back end of the summer horses anyway. It's kind of a transition anyway, so we probably want the better ground. Yeah, a lot of trainers would be more than happy to have to have, you know. Well, in the old days, we would have good deferment ground and we wouldn't worry about it. If you dig out a form book from from thirty or forty years ago, you'll you'll find disappointingly sized fields for for the the early meetings at Cheltenham, um, but you'll often find firm or even hard grounds, and no one kicked up. I mean, no one. A lot of people didn't want to run their good horses. You know, the big trainers used to start the horses out in November anyway, the Fred Winters and the Phil Goldwins of this world. Um, but it was perfectly normal to have racing on, on good, good, you know, good to firm or even faster grounds. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't deemed a disaster. But now every meeting has to be big. Um, mm. And, you know, the showcase has to be a showcase, in inverted commas. And therefore, there's literally millions of gallons going on through the summer. Um, and... Well, a degree of watering is obviously a good thing in the summer if, if, it, if it's particularly dry. It, it, it just takes so little to turn Cheltenham into a swamp now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know it drains very well and, you know, a few dry days and it's in grand shape. But if you're at a meeting there and it happens to rain during the meeting, um, it turns muddy very quickly. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Um, we'll go on to the 115. I bellow, 130 favourite. Zanza, 7-2, to 4-1, depending on where you're shopping. Magic Saint, 9-2, to 5-1, to 11-2 from the three current firms offering prices. Capeland in the exact same position, for that matter. Uh, Kate Tracy, lead the way. Who do you like in the 115? So I'm going to take on Iblio, I think, or Abello here with Zanza who I was really taken with this lad's win last time I was at Newbury. It was just his third chase start and he really put his seasoned handicap chasers to shame with his jumping. And yes, I'd imagine plenty will be saying, well, he was aided by the fact that the race was falling apart around him with three fallers who had each tried to make the running. But I don't actually think those fallers had much of an implication on Zanz's race. And if anything, it hindered him because he was hampered by the first faller and then he was left in front from uh, a fair way out when the Russian Doyen went at the eighth but his jumping was so neat and accurate and looked to get better and better the quicker the pace lifted and the further he went through the race and the way he measured the final ditch was just lovely to see before then running out an easy winner off of his mark of 138 so the seven pound rise looks very feasible for him to overcome to me and all mankind obviously hasn't exactly hindered the form of his Warwick second in the run prior to that where he finished sorry second behind that rival so uh, I think that this ad looks a very promising type I still think is ahead of his mark here so I will take on with Zanza I like it. But Roy Delargy, do you agree? Um, yes, I do. Mm. Um, particularly with, with Philip Hobbs showing much better signs um, yes. of late as well. You know, normally a very reliable trainer in terms of strike rate. Um, and you can rely on his horses to to um, you know to churn out the wins. And it's, it hadn't been a great season for him until fairly recently, but he's had um, uh, he's had a couple of winners in the last uh, week and a few horses who've run better than finishing positions as well. And, and the horses now seem to be firing. Um, and uh, as Kate said, that was, a, that was a very good run last time out. It's difficult to put an absolute figure on it. Um, but 
his jumping was very good. And when um, when you get races like that, um, where horses are making mistakes around you, it's a lot easier for horses who'd normally be good jumpers to start making mistakes themselves. You know, it, it can make it more difficult to concentrate on your fences, A, when you've got loose horses, but also when horses near you are, are blundering as well. Um, it's, um, it's more likely um, to get a horse to, to let a mistake slip in when they wouldn't normally make one. But he was, um, he was very good there. Um, I thought um, Marakuja was, was a horse I tipped up in that race. I thought he was coming back to form. He's an interesting one, Marakuja, in that um, connections were, were rightly a bit miffed that he could put up for finishing third in, in a uncompetitive grade one at Ascot. But he's now back down below the mark he was before he went into that race. And he's caught the eye once or twice. He travelled well on the race, but Zanza then quickened away from him after Maracuja moved up looking a big threat. He traded evens and running that day. Um, and then Zanza just kicked on. Um, he, he saw that he saw his race out in very, very good style. It wasn't it wasn't um, a particularly strongly run race once Moonlighter came down, in fairness. Um, but this, his closing session was impressive for the conditions. Um, and I think he will um, he'll take a fair bit of beating here. Fair bit of beating for Zanza. Uh, who is currently a best price of four to one. So shall we take that? I think we shall, indeed. I think I think he has to be favourite, to be honest. I'd be surprised if a player was. Okay. All right, well, that's good to know as well. Well, the Final Forum podcast is proudly brought to you by the Tote. Now under new management, Tote's looking to bring pool betting back to the masses and with better value, brilliant bets and a new slicker app. Plus with the new Tote guarantee, you will never be paid less on than SP on win bets. And of course, if pools pay more, then you will get the bigger price. It's never been easier to place your favorite bets online, including the play spot, scoop six, as well as the brand new tote survivor where the aim of the game is to be the last person standing. Importantly, when you bet with the tote, your money goes back into supporting the sport at a time when the industry has never needed it more. Kate will back that up. And had a Mm -hmm. few conversations during the week that, um, rather frightened me so yes it has never been a better time to bet with the tote um also there is the added bonus of the fact that because the tote aren't a bookie if you win big they won't shut you down (laughs) so remember winners are more than welcome if you haven't got an account join today and enjoy a risk-free bet on any of the two of the tools of the pools uh, and the multitude of pool betting that is available. Terms and conditions apply. And uh, the Final Forum podcast is also brought to you by Caspian Caviar, the finest of all the caviars. Speaking of, the 150 is the Caspian Caviar Gold Cup Handicap Chase, the official caviar of the Final Forum podcast. Uh, Master Tommy Tucker is your favorite at 6-1. to one. Windsor Avenue. Should we do it? Should we do it? No, because he's the false king in the north. Uh, and it's been proven that he's the false king in the north now as well. Al Dancer, 7-1. to one. Sipage, 15-2. to two. Cool Cody, 8-1. to one. And Chatham Street Lad, who does make the journey over from Mick Winters, which is hilarious, seeing as Mick Winters was uh, asked about his very impressive winner for Trevor, Trevor Hemmings last weekend and said, and are you looking forward to a trip to Cheltenham? Ah, I don't like to travel. <laughs> Yet here he is at Cheltenham with Chatham Street Lad. All right. 
I mean... He's been a channel before, you know? Of course he has. Doesn't change the fact that that's what he said on racing TV on Sunday, and yet here he is on Saturday. I'm happy you. I'm happy you could give a translation there of what he did say in that interview. Thank uh, you for that. Yeah, yeah. I have a, I have a I reason. People deserve to hear exactly what Mick said, so they can judge for themselves. Exactly. Although they wouldn't be able to judge for themselves because they wouldn't understand it. Not at so, all. But uh, <laughs> he's doesn't, wonderful, isn't he? Doesn't he's change wonderful. the fact that Mick Winters is one of the nicest men in racing, and. Um, was a uh, just an absolute gent and you want to see him succeed and with a very very small team of horses over the years he has um succeeded tremendously as well uh, so who takes the caspian caviar gold cup k tracy so <laughs> this obviously at the head of the market here is a horse i believe you are a big fan of and Right. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not go with big fan of a horse that I was interested in until two people <laughs> spoke common sense to me. Don't, then, don't be so easily swayed. Don't and, be so easily swayed in pre-production. Me, I'd, I'd flip flop all the time. <laughs> go on. The master Tommy Tucker, obviously heading the market currently, and at the prices, I just cannot have this lad in a big field handicap where his jumping is going to be under the ultimate scrutiny. He's never even faced a field bigger than ten rivals, and even that was on his debut. And the next biggest field size he's faced was seven, where he's fallen twice and won twice in a seven-runner field. Those falls in those two races just mentioned, came when stepped up into graded company rather than the two wins, which came in a beginner's chase and a novice's hurdle. So I don't think it's any coincidence that when the pace is naturally stronger in graded company, that's when it really, that's when he, he really pays for his mistakes rather than having the leisure to recover from his blunders in novice company. Uh, so of course this horse has so much ability, but could I be backing him as favourite in a 19-runner top draw handicap chase? No. So I will be against him here. And the first horse I was interested in was your your substitute king of the north, was Windsor Avenue. Oh, I really like this God. lad a lot. I, I still think he, well, I know that he has a lot of ability. Uh, and I'm just waiting for him to take a big prize such as this race. So hopefully... This will be his time because obviously he looks a real talent uh, in his two first novice chases last season. Disappointed then. He just weakened out of it really quickly, stepped up into grade two company and looked beaten when falling in another grade two in January. But he was then obviously turned away. Given a wind operation, you can see why he was falling away so weakly if this wind operation has had the effect that it has looked like it has so far at least. Um, because it's, we saw him in much better form last time out. Returned from the 10-month absence, finished a solid second behind obviously subsequent Ascot grade two winner and now Ryanair joint favourite Imperial Aura in the listed chase at Carlisle and um, with Imperial Aura obviously he's gone on again but now rated 163 and beating Windsor Avenue by an admittedly cosy enough two and a half lengths also giving him four pounds but it does still make Windsor Avenue's mark of 148 look very feasible and soft ground would be in his favour especially if the wind operation continues to have the desired effect so he's the first one the second one is Cool Cody 
the uh, the the character that is called Cody. And for all the horses who run well in the top pre-festival Cheltenham two and a half mile handicaps, they regularly hold their form in each of the races. But it's actually very rare to have a winner of both the Paddy Power Gold Cup and the Caspian Caviar. I think, well, the last horse to do it, uh, to do the double, uh, was Senorel Betruti 23 years ago. So Cool Cody will have to obviously pull something a little extra out to be backing up that Paddy Power Gold Cup. the sound of Roy DeLarge ripping up paperwork going, oh, God. Damn it, she stole my line. <laughs> 23 years ago. <laughs> I when I when I was looking at these stats there earlier, I was like, haha, I hope I get in before Rory with this one. <laughs> um, but yeah, so obviously Cool Cody will have to be pulling out uh, a little bit extra to be doing that. But um, this race has just come around perfectly for the Evan Williams yard. They also had a great weekend last weekend at Chepso Exeter and Sandown. I think Cool Cody still looks well handicapped. He's only been put up six pounds for that three and a quarter length win last month. And he still looks more valued, or I thought he still looked more valued than the winning margin, especially after whacking mistakes, well, making mistakes pretty much everywhere. Um, but it really gained performance then up the hill. And his Cheltenham form actually stands as a win, then an unplaced, then a second, then a win. That unplaced finish coming in the Potemps final. So I think he'll be suited by the extra stamina test as well this weekend. So he's the other one. The only concern I have, if he wants to bowl along in front again, as he did last time out, obviously with the help of a loose horse. And you have Master Tommy Tucker trying to make it as well. With both of them with their jumping frailties, they might just pay to each other's detriment. Um, so the third and final one, just for the each way play, uh, if you wanted one at a bigger price, which I know obviously when you hear that Rory's on the preview show for a, for a big field handicap, that people want to be listening to the value. So I thought I'd stick in my own penny sports for that uh, point of view. It would be Huntsman's son, who I think he's a really interesting each way price. Do you have his price there? I think he's yeah. about 18 to 1. I think. Yeah, 18s. Like that. Yeah, he's actually been withdrawn from handicaps at Newbury and Aintree the last couple of weekends. So if he turns up here, it's obviously a deliberate bit of placing. He has good Cheltenham form in the book. He actually ran much better than the final form figure suggested when he chased home a Plutard in the 2019 Close Brothers at the festival. And a good run then back at Haydock. Came back then from 17 months off with a really good win in a listed handicap chase at Weatherby. He had two for gold who ran well for a long way in the Labrick Trophy back in second that day. And I think this mark is feasible for him of 148 as well. He might prefer a flatter track, but at the prices, he is the each way play for me. Uh, yes, a Huntsman's son that was. Huntsman's son for Alex Hales and uh, Keelan Woods. 18s is currently your best price, down from 33s. Roy Delargi, big field handicap, take it away. Uh, I'm afraid the fancy prices has fancy prices have gone, but you, regular listeners will know exactly who I fancy here, and that's Sipage, um, who I raved about when he won over course and distance uh, in January in the beautifully named Paddy Power, 45 Sleeps to Cheltenham Trophy Handicap Chase. Uh, he's just a superb jumper of a Cheltenham fence. Um, he, he's not one of these that, that stands outside the wings. He's not an Altior who gives the fence two foot of space. Um, he clears it with barely enough to spare and gets straight back on uh, an even keel on landing. If you watch him, it, it, you really have to do this. You want to learn a little bit about about what it means to be a good jumper of fences. Watch the video of him winning here in, in January um, and just particularly pay attention um, to the ground that he makes at every fence. Um, he was chased throughout by um, 
Lawler and um, I think uh, Gardner Victoire, Lawler particularly, who travelled all over and throughout the race, loomed up at every fence um, and Sepage was just quick through there. Lawler didn't jump badly at all. He barely made a mistake, but he gives his fences a little bit of air. Um, and uh, Sepage, quick and straight into his stride on landing, gained at least a length on Lawler at virtually every fence without um, the horse he finished third um, really doing anything wrong. It's just a perfect display of jumping for Cheltenham. Um, and it's well worth watching if you want to get an idea of, of what, you know, what tools you want to have uh, to win races over fences at Cheltenham. Uh, I thought he was perfect. Uh, I thought it was a cracking bet of a one pound higher mark um, for the festival plate, only for Venetia Williams to state that she'd always believed he was a three miler and she was stepping him up to three miles and a furlong um, for the Ultima, in which he traveled, he jumped superbly, traveled best of all, uh, traded six to four with four fences left to jump and didn't get up the hill over the three mile one furlong trip. Um, clearly didn't say from the second last, but ran much better than seventh or 23 would imply. Um, and as I said, you know, he's traded a long way from home. He's traded 2.5 uh, in running. Um, and I think he would have gone extremely close to winning the shorter um, race at the festival. And I'm a lot poorer as a result for him not doing that. But here he is back over his ideal course and distance again. And I think he'd run really well. Now you look at his previous runs uh, last season, he looks like he's sort of handicapped to the hill, but he's one of one, five, four. Uh, and he's done it by just doing everything absolutely right. And a one pound higher mark shouldn't be beyond him. We haven't seen him since March. He's got a really, really good record fresh. Um, he's he's um, run four times in his career after 200 or more days off the track um, since joining Venetia. He won on his stable debut uh, at Newbury. Uh, I say oh, after six months or more, 185 days, his break there. Um, and he then didn't run quite to that level in his next few starts. Um, he was then second to a horse who'd been placed in the champion chase the previous season on his reappearance in the 2017-2018 season. On his reappearance last year in his first run since April, he was second in this sorry in this race um, and second uh, to a horse called Frodon. Um, which is not a bad performance at all. 15 lengths clear of another course and distance specialist in Guitar Pete, who won his next race as well. And that's very solid form. Um, obviously, he's a bit higher in the weights now. Um, and uh, again, on his, um, uh, in his reappearance last season, he ran into a subsequent grade one winner in a handicap again, finishing second to... Um, uh, to riders on the storm being a length and three quarters, given that horse seven pounds um, at the entry. So although he hasn't won in a seasonal reappearance for the last two years, he's run two absolutely huge races um, against grade one horses. Um, so he will run his race. His best form is at this course and distance on this ground. Um, and he's absolutely sure to be ready to run for his life. Um, so the 20 to one that was an offer, uh, early for this race looks um, looked a bit of a steal. I've backed him at that price. It's going to be a lot shorter now, so the um, um, the form of the collapsing price shouldn't happen here. But he's guaranteed to run his race, um, and I think he goes very close. Sepage, uh, Roy, one horse to ask you about. Master uh, Tommy Tucker. 
no, and sorry. I'll, I'll tell you, I know you like Master Tommy Tucker yeah. and and Kate has, Kate has obviously put you right off him. <laughs> the one thing I will say about him, his jumping was very good last time. I didn't think it was brilliant when he won a match at Huntington, um, but it was a lot better at Haydock in the mud last time out. And the question is whether being able to go his own pace in France, although it was a pretty strong pace, um, benefited him. Um, the issue with him last season wasn't that other horses were putting him under pressure and making him make mistakes. When he fell at Kempton in the uh, in the Cotto Star, it was his first mistake of the race that saw him in the deck. And when he fell again at the same track in the Pendle, he'd again outjumped his rivals the whole way around and was running away, absolutely running away when he made his first mistake of the race. It was an appalling mistake and saw him on the deck. And that's the problem with him. Not that he makes mistakes, but that's last year... He was either absolutely brilliant at offence or he was suicidal at offence. Mm. Um, and it was always, it was just one mistake that got him on, you know, that, that got him in trouble both times. It wasn't a series of mistakes that saw him eventually on the deck. And this season, um, he's, um, you know, he, he's, he's not been doing that. I thought he was a bit careful at Huntington. But again, I think the job there that Harry Compton had to do um, was just to get his confidence back, give him a schooling session, make sure he didn't do anything silly when he was out in his own. And then he seemed to build on that at Haydock last time out. So I wouldn't rule him out. He's obviously gone up in the weights for winning so easily. And last time out in a race, he was able to boss. So that's the question about whether he can defy a mark of 157 in this kind of race. And clearly it's a bigger field and there'll be more pressure on him. He won't be seeing 19 horses though, will he? Because he'll be out in front in the first place and he's got a very high cruising speed. Yeah. So if you fancy him in the first place, do not let myself, with my different selection, or Kate put you off backing him. Because you got to believe, you got to believe in the horse that you like. Keep the faith and all that. Uh, genuine, it wasn't the horse I was going to ask you about. I was going to ask you about Champagne Mystery. Uh, that's an interesting one. And why did you want to ask me about that one? Because I'm intrigued at the fact that Nicky could have kept Mr. Fisher in here and has obviously gone for the rescheduled race on the Friday, the Peterborough. And also that Trevor Hemmings has had a big dispersal and yet keeps this horse. Yeah, I think he's kept, he's kept a hold of the most promising ones, hasn't he, really, um, Trevor? Um, and Mr. Fisher, I think, would always have been on target for the... Was it, He was in the original... Um, he was, but they could have rerouted yeah. him to this if they, they wanted. They could have, but I don't, I, don't, I don't think that was ever the plan. And I think that, that that's partly why it was never the plan to run Altior here, because because Nicky had, had both Top Notch and Mr. Fisher uh, for the grade two, which would suit, them, suit the pair of them, ideally. Champion mystery. Yeah, you, you need to um, you need to write off his poor run here um, at the festival. He looked very very good on his debut for the yard um, when he jumped superbly from the fronts at the entry. Always slightly wary of a horse who does that because he's it's essentially a high speed schooling session. He didn't see another horse um, and he set off and pinged every fence and won pretty much as he liked. But that was off a mark of one two nine. Um, Present value, who was favoured that day, sat a long way off him and had no chance of getting on terms. Um, the third one next time out. I mean, the form looks okay. Um, and he's a young horse as well. But he was pretty free in doing that. And I'd be more concerned about him trying to dominate this field than I would about uh, Master Tommy Tucker. Because uh, Master Tommy Tucker has been taken on grade one opposition uh, for the best part of a year. Uh, whereas um, Champion Mystery, um, 
his one win came in a handicap where he only had 129. He's 10 points higher than that. He's capable of winning over Smart. There's no doubt about that. But I think it's a tough enough um, um, reappearance given that um, he's suddenly up against a big field for the first time. Um, well, I say for the first time, obviously he pulled up in the um, in the novices handicap at the festival, which was a little bit of a a bit of a blow because um, there's a similar scenario here. Obviously, he's had wind surgery since, which might make you think that the issue with him um, here in March um, was his wind. But I think it was more to do with the fact that his style of racing is better suited to small fields than it is to race a race like this. Horses who race freely sometimes are suited by strongly run big field handicaps, but he's a horse who wants to get on with things. So I don't know whether the plan is to um, is to race handily with them or whether they're trying to teach him to settle and burying him in the field. He made the running here in March, um, but couldn't cope with doing that at a stronger pace um, in a big field, and he dropped away um, before any wind infirmity would have been an issue. I just think he was unsuited by that type of race. And here he is running in exactly that type of race again. Although he won on soft at the entry, I would have thought everything about him um, style-wise suggests that he might actually be better on quicker ground. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what the going is like on Saturday as well. Mm. Um, That's a little bit up in in air with that. I'm not against him as a a, a racehorse at all. It's just that... um, uh, as I said, his 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 style and the way he shaped in March suggests that this might not be his type of race. But obviously, you know, it's a it's a valuable handicap, and um, with his rating, it's it's an obvious kind of race for him to start in. Um, he's the kind of horse you couldn't send for a Peter Bray; wouldn't have the class for that. But he's got the ability to defy his mark. This just might not be the right race for him. Okay, that's champagne mystery. Um, Master Tommy Tucker and a one-two for Nichols with Southfield Stone. Boom. Fair enough. Done and dusted. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious who wins the 225. (laughs) Justice for Danny Kerwin. Uh, Kate Tracy, your thoughts on the potato race hurdle? (laughs) We have so many potato races. Um, Yeah, so to be honest with you, I looked at this race when the decks came out and I had in my head what I thought was going to make up into the market then. The market's come along and not gone the way I was expecting, which obviously is a positive in in the respect that there was more value for a horse who I actually thought was going to be uh, shorter in the market. But my selection is actually now favourite of Ashtown Lad, who I thought would have a few more points uh, to his name. Because obviously he's done very little wrong this season. He had a second on his reappearance start, so he's beaten half length by the reopposing Aska Honeybee, who I expect to be a bit short here, uh, before winning two on the bounce, Ashton Lad did on his two most recent starts. First, he was a good winner after making all at Weatherby, then stepping up in grade to a class three handicap pearl at Utoxta, where he was an even easier winner by seven and a half lengths. Back in a novice here, and he's only having to give weight to the five-year-old mare in the lineup in Win House, but is on level terms with the rest of his rivals. And he has the necessary experience now, what I thought, where I would be chancing him to turn around the form of Aska Honeybee uh, with the, obviously with the skeleton form 
corn for Ashtown Lad now absolutely flying. But now that I've seen Asuka Honeybee's price, I don't think it went to plan whatsoever last time I was at Newcastle uh, in that good novices hurdle won by Guess Around for Ella Picard last time out. He was only beaten by a head. That was over the two mile six there. So he's guessing another two furlongs here. And he just missed one of the hurdles uh, at a key stage of the race and I put him on the back foot. And he, it was just, he, it looked a bit of a, an awkward ride, really, more so than anything. And then came home flying. But I know the connections were disappointed with the result that day. He was sent off the 11 to 10 favourites. Uh, and prior to that, he'd beaten, been beaten by Bob Hope or No Hope at Exeter, who went out and won his next start then at Doncaster himself very well. So is a nice horse in himself from the Bailey Yard. So actually, for all that he's been beaten, at short price on his last two starts I think he was subject to um, circumstance more so than anything that he found himself through the race and I actually considering he already has the win over Ashtown Lad for Ashtown Lad I expect he was improved but I think Asuka Honeybee also would have been conjunction so I'm um, actually now that I've seen the market open up I'm going to do my own flip-flopping here and I'm going to get off Ashtown Lad and at the current prices on our showing as we record I will favour Asuka Honeybee here for friend of the show, Fergal O'Brien. Uh, didn't Ashdown Lad cost 17.5 million in the last <laughs> while for Darren Yates? Well done, well done, Darren. Keep spending that cash, why not? Uh, Rory. Uh, I don't have a massively strong opinion on the race. I think, I think they're, they're, um, a lot of them are fairly closely matched. Um, it's not the kind of race I like getting heavily involved in. But I can. What price have you got? Win house. There's a question. Um, Win house is currently trading at. I've got her about five. Best, pr- best five price nine to two. Okay. Um, I was hoping to get slightly better than that, but um, I like her. I, I saw her in the flesh at Huntingdon last year. I went to the um, uh, to the Peterborough Chase. Um, as a guest of the sponsors who were very kind um, and um, she finished second in the, uh, the listed bumper that day though um, the winner was um, was rumoured to have been lined up for a bit of a touch uh, that day Vegas Blue off uh, Nikki Henderson's now she Vegas Blue ran very badly over hurdles at, at Sandown um, last week but she wouldn't have handled the, the heavy ground at all um, and she was beaten from an early stage. Uh, Winhouse has, has uh, she showed very useful form in bumpers, um, and she's won both her starts um, over hurdles so far. Um, she's been taken on mares, but which makes it a little bit difficult to um, um, to judge her form. But um, I thought she was uh, I thought she's been pretty impressive so far. And although this is a step up, um, she is. Um, she's the type we should do better in, in terms of her pedigree and her build. Um, she's probably more impressive when she won one first time out. She beat uh, again one of Nikki's um, last time out, Crystal Gazing, who runs in his colours, and made fairly hard work of that around Ludlow. But I think this track will suit her better. Um, the form of the race where she beat Go Millie Go was worked out very well. Go Millie Go won next time out. Um, a number of those in behind have run um, very respectably at least since and that's that's the run I would judge her on um, that I give the impression there a banger that she would um, she would do better I think Shelton will suit her and I think she could run a big race strictly speaking on, on the form of her her latest win compared to 
um, one or two others in the field, she should be a bigger price than she is. Um, that would, I mean, I think that would put her behind about five of these in form terms. So I was kind of hoping she'd be a double figure price, um, given that, um, you know, she's been taking on lesser company and made fairly hard work of, of uh, winning at odds on last time. Right? So I thought, I thought she might be a 10 to one shot. So nine to two is not appealing, but if she was, if she was allowed to drift in the market and she was judged, um, on her um, most recent run that I think she might provide a little bit of value, but um, I'd want, it would be an each way bet and I'd need all the to go to post. So I wouldn't be backing her at this stage. I'd be waiting to close to the off uh, and only having an each way punt if, um, if her price is a little bit more realistic. Okay. Uh, a couple of withdrawals this morning. So I'm not entirely sure if you will get all eight on the day, but Hey, maybe, um, it's relevant though because Danny Curran will absolutely smash them up from start to finish. I like the giggling in the background. I don't know what you're all giggling at. He's going to win and he's going to win easily. Uh, the Unibet International Hurdle, which really should be known as the Beulah Hurdle, uh, this race only has the sponsorship name that it has because Boyle Sports threw a hissy fit and went, well, if we're going to sponsor this race, we want it to be the international meeting, so we want this to be the international hurdle. So it has to be rebranded. Boyles, Boyles didn't call the, the meeting the international meeting, by the way. Are you saying... Cheltenham Racecourse wanted it to be the international meeting, and I'd imagine... It would have been Cheltenham Racecourse who suggested to Boyles the name change. Oh, jeez. In fact, I so, would know that for a fact. So you they're the mean, ones who just happened to get man. stifled. But it wasn't, it, of course, wasn't the Beulah Hurdle in the first place. Listen, it was, it's the Beulah it Hurdle the, for long enough, Chel- and it should be back to it the Beulah was Hurdle. the grandly right? titled Cheltenham Trial the Hurdle. Beulah Hurdle. Get it back to the Beulah Hurdle and get it back to it sooner rather than later. Now, more importantly, you don't have to be a champion hurdler to go and win this race. Uh, current betting is Goshen. Hmm. Rolls eyes. Nine to four. Uh, Chittabello, five to one. Song for Someone, five to one. So Royal, six to one. Silver Streak, 13 to two. Ballyandy, sevens. Call Me Lord, nines. Verdana Blue, tens. And then pretty much whatever price you want. You really don't need to be a champion hurdler to win this race. So Kate Tracy... As I tell you straight away that I will be backing Song for Someone and will be backing Song for Someone quite confidently, who is your selection for the, yeah. for the Beulah? <laughs> for whatever we're calling it. Uh, yeah, so just to start with Goshing, obviously we have to touch on him and, and, uh, and just go through him briefly at the head of the market there. So, I mean, of course, I can't wait to see him back over hurdles again after an opinion dividing. But ultimately, I guess you, you would have to call it at these prices that he went off on the flat. A bit of a disappointing flat, a couple of flat runs this autumn. But I still think he is um, an unbelievable talent over obstacles. And hopefully his doubters will be put to rest on Saturday with the more team in red hot form at the minute, as well the likes of. Natalan, 50 ball last weekend, um, just to name two standout performances that we've seen recently. But at the prices, and considering we don't 
know exactly where we are at with Goshen at the minute. And I always have this caution nowadays of backing these four-year-olds in their first season in open company because I've been burnt by what I believe to be a star juvenile having a rude awakening when meeting older, established at the higher highest levels opponents. So for all that I want to see him win, I won't be backing him in this race. And I I think this might even be the first time in this pod so far. I'm agreeing with you, Emmett, on Song to Someone here. I just, I love him. And I mean, I've always really liked this horse. And it... <laughs> Rightly so. Rightly so. It only took us to, to get to the sixth race for the applause. <laughs> but at least it came. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I did think it, it did seem a bit mad that he was sent off the outsider of the three runners at Ascot last time out in the grade two Ascot hurdle because you had huge question marks over Lorena, which unfortunately proved to surface once again. And Call Me Lord, who had come back from a rather uninspiring reappearance start this season. But more so than the price, it was just brilliant to see Song for Someone go through his race like a top draw hurdler. He was so neat at his hurdles, similar to that of which you see from Epitome, where these top hurdlers don't actually jump inverted commas as it were but they are merely snapping their legs up and their body almost stays in the same place so as to not expend any extra energy or waste any more time than absolutely necessary in the air and that's exactly what this lad did at Ascot and the forecast rain will also suit him too so if you're backing him here or anti-post for the champion hurdle you'd want to be hoping for soft ground ideally and for all he's won a Kingwell hurdle on good soft ground at Kempton I still think that Cheltenham on soft ground would see him in an even better light by the way he goes through his races so he is also my selection and of course if you're looking for the each way play um, or for your play spot actually more importantly if you're doing that with the tote then at Cheltenham on Saturday Bally Andy has to go in it doesn't he? Oh, he's just yeah. Oh, he's always sent off at an each way price in these top two mile hurdles. And I always back him each way or to place because he's just such a brilliant horse. He has consistency as his middle name. So so you so just want him to actually get a deserved win. But naturally, in these contests, as an exposed nine-year-old, he finds one or two too good, but gives his running, provides a value angle consistently. So perfect for your play spot and is also why I'm one of his biggest fans because he always helps me out in that sense. <laughs> He's weighted a pound higher than Song for Someone, but he won't beat his Song for Someone, though. Um, all right, so two for two for Song for Someone. Roy Dargy? Uh, three from three. Oh, yes! Yeah, I, like, I mean, I, I want Song for Someone to win this as well as as well as think that he's the, the bet in the race. Because um, if, if you're looking for something to come through into the champion hurdle picture, and you really are, aren't you, at the moment, because it, the, the cupboard's looking a little bit bare, um, he is the one um, who might just come from left field and then throw down a challenge for that. It's got a long way to come yet, but it, it, everything about him has been positive so far. I liked him a lot last season. Um, he proved when winning at Ascot last time that he doesn't need very deep ground. He's got a flat pedigree, so um, he's, he, he, you wouldn't have expected him to, to just be a mudlark. Um, I, um, I was with him when he was he was narrowly beaten in a very competitive handicap hurdle, the Holloway hurdle, at Ascot last season, and um, uh, he's won both since. Dropping back, as, as Kate says, dropping back to two miles on, on good ground at Kempton. Um, for the Kingwell was was very much against him, but he still won that, and he won it in he won it in really game style. He, he hit nearly five hundred on Betfair that day, um, getting outpaced 
over the, the, the shorter trip. Um, but he uh, would not give up victory. He battled really well to come through and, and win that by half a length. That was a, um, a really nice performance. I say it was good ground. It, it wasn't, it was, it was softish ground, but it wasn't, it wasn't particularly deep. And the Kempton two miles over hurdles is, uh, is no test of stamina. Um, so he's clearly suited by a slightly longer trip, but you need to stay two and a half in a champion hurdle. You don't, you don't get home as a short runner there. So having the stamina for two mile three is a big plus. This is a big test for him to see whether he can do it at Cheltenham and at, um, at around the two mile trip. Um, I really hope he can. Uh, I wouldn't say for a second he's a certainty to do so because this is a new test for him. But um, I, I love his size. He's a really, really good jumper of a hurdle. Um, just look at him up against uh, Call Me Lord at Ascot last time. Um, he, was, he was just slicker over his hurdles all the way. Um, and that's improved again from last. I mean, his, his jumping was very good last season, but it's even he's even more impressed for that department at the moment. That's exactly what you look at. I mean, I used to bang the drum all the time about good horses in the champion hurdle who were um, who needed to adjust at their hurdles. The new one, the reason he was never going to win a champion hurdle is because he always had to go out to his right to adjust uh, to jump. And that that wasn't a massive correction, and it didn't stop him winning good races elsewhere. But you lose. You lose half a length at a hurdle at Cheltenham in the champion hurdle. You cannot possibly win that race. You can kick them out of the ground if you want. If you're going straight and you're getting you're getting them quickly, as Fogin showed, as Nightner showed in his time, um, but you can't be careful with them. And this is a horse who's quicksilver over his hurdles. He needs to prove he's got the class to move into that category. But he's lightly raced. He's exactly the right age. He's a five-year-old, turning six who's getting the, the first really big test of his career now, and I'd be hugely hopeful he'll pass it. Um, and I would love to see him go and win um, a champion hurdle for Tom Simmons. Three from three. Whatever about a champion hurdle for Saturday for Song for Someone, but it would be nice to see him emerge uh, on top as the leading champion hurdle contender against the queen that is Epiton. Um, and worth worth mentioning Goshen there as well. I know you've been you've briefly. Been your eyes. Well, no, let's not let's not be mean to because I because I um, said I was dead against him in the Triumph Hurdle last year and got lucky uh, with him on seating at the last. Um, but you know, questions are being asked now because he's missed a couple of engagements and he was underwhelming on the flats. But clearly, he's had his issues since the Triumph Hurdle because initially Gary Moore was talking about sending him for the Ebor. So the flat, flat campaign was always planned, but the idea was that he would be, be aimed at, um, um, at the Ebor, which, and the fact that he didn't run um, until the end of September shows that things didn't go to plan um, early in the year. And um, the way he shaped on his comeback as well suggested that he was, you know, that he was very rusty, did a little bit better at, at Goodwood. And those aren't bad runs in the grand scheme of things, you know? Um, but... Again, we were hoping to see him earlier than this, and he wasn't right for the um, um, for. Were they looking at the elite for him? I can't remember. Champions elite Day, um, and um, he was then um, penciled in for the uh, the Fighting Fifth, which he didn't make either. So, the Gary Moore's making the right noises now. Not that he likes particularly talking his horses up. He was making the um, right noises during the summer. Well. I, don't, I mean, you see, you, you, when you see Gary Moore actually talk about his, his horses, he's a he's a, a little bit less bullish um, generally um, than reports would happen. People tend to read between the lines a little bit. I mean, you can see where Ryan gets it from. Gary's slightly embarrassed to talk about his horses, 
Um, but, you know, obviously Hills Gorshin in, in, um, in the highest esteem. He's got a bit to prove now for all, you know, he was going to run out an impressive winner of, of the Triumph. Um, he did make a bad mistake at the last. I know that's not the reason he ended up unseating in the end. He might still have unseated um, anyway. Um, but obviously they, that's fr- that fluke with his um, with his shoes um, was was what uh, ended his race in the Triumph. But his jumping um, came under question before that. And again, as I said, if you're going to become a champion hurdle horse, you've got to jump well. You've got to jump cleanly and you've got to jump straight, which is something he didn't always do last season. And he was better than a fairly modest bunch in the um, in the triumph, um, all mankind's improvement over fences notwithstanding. Um, so he does have a bit to prove. But again, we want to see great horses in this game. And for all I was a negative about his chances in the triumph last year, that doesn't mean for a second that I don't want Goshen to turn into a top-class horse. I will take no pleasure um, if he gets beaten here, if he doesn't fulfil his, his old potential. I would love to see him come through and become a star for, for Gary Moore. Um, I won't be tipping him in this race because I think there are questions to answer, but I'd be delighted to see him answer those questions, and it's very important to, to make that point. Yeah, I don't think any of us would see any pleasure in him not running his race or not performing to his absolute best. And if he does run brilliantly and blow song for someone away, then that's something to celebrate. I just don't particularly think this is going to happen, but if it does happen, I'll be the first one to eat the humble pie on Monday's review show. Um, will we talk about one more race away from Cheltenham, this time the 3.15 at Doncaster, the three-mile handicap chase, perhaps. Kate, or is there anything else that you'd like to talk about? No, I know you've got a fancy up at Doncaster there. I don't have an overly strong opinion on that. We'll um, go We'll go for where yeah, you want to go next. Where do you want to go next? Oh, yeah, no, I was just going to round off the Cheltenham card there in the last. It's only, a, well, not only, that's really derogatory. Uh, no, it is a mayor's handicap hurdle to finish off the card here. But, um, but a horse who I just love. This is honestly probably more uh, heart right now, more so than anything. I was hoping that Indefatigable was going to be well enough supported to go our favourite for this final race at Cheltenham and allow a few points of extra value for the White Mouse, who is just a mare I love. Um, she's still a decent enough price on my showing, at least, anyway. I was just hoping that there might just be a little bit more. There may well be on the day. Um, but the White Mouse would be my selection in the last race. She's such a hardy horse. She had a really impressive 2018-19 season. Led her to a tilt at the Mayor's EBF final at Newbury. And she had the mother of all fools, but after clipping heels on the flat on the home bend. And I feared the worst at that point. And then she obviously missed the whole of last season as well. And I thought, well, maybe best case scenario, it was a, maybe it was career ending and she, she's gone off to be a broodmare or something like that. And then as soon as I saw her declared then for Wincanton, Last time out at this sea, this season on the 7th of November. Couldn't have been happy to see her. And I thought she was given a lovely ride by Dickie Johnson. Trying to get her confidence back. It looked so more so than anything. It was a big field of uh, of mares in that handicap bird. It was a good race as well. She was wide, out back, turned into a, a sprint as it does very often at Wincanton. She jumped well, warmed up to her task, ran out a really, really game and nice winner. And I was just delighted for connections, for their patience to be rewarded. And for Lucy Wadham, obviously, to to have achieved a, a top training feat as well, bringing this mare back, getting her confidence back and to get her back to win. So she's won off of this mark of 130. 
where I think that this race looks uh, looks perfect for her. And I think that she's she's had enough time. She's had a month to recover from her reappearance start. So she should bounce back because she shouldn't really come into it there, I hope. And yeah, so the White Mouse just around off Cheltenham's card for me. What a brilliant name, by the way. Rory, you're viewing yeah. the race? Uh, no, no strong view in the race at all. Anywhere Move else on. you want to mention anything else? Well, if you want to look at uh, the the last at Doncaster and have a rant about uh, the uh, the sponsor's name, then I'd be delighted to uh, to hear you do that. Fly, fly away, Rory, fly away. <laughs> What's that mean? <laughs> you can fly away to Doncaster, or are you just uh, you just looking for a fight? Yeah, you can. No, no, you can. <laughs> you can take it on there. Take on the. Take on the rant. Oh, no, about you, I, was, I was hoping you'd have a rant about the race titles first. At the um, juvenile summit, the bet three six five handicap chase. That's the one, yeah, yeah. What's the problem with that? Oh, it used to be the Great Yorkshire Chase, didn't it? Ah, uh, the North. Time. It's all right. Yeah, it's fine. Know. North is all right. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Yorkshire's not that great anyway. It says Emmett Kennedy. <laughs> Attributed. Uh, what's your view, Rory? I'd be with Baldmere here. A very dangerous opinion to have in Yorkshire, it has to be said. Uh, I th- I'm not a massive fan of the watch, but I think give me a copper roll with this. Oh, um, he's. We haven't seen him the best part of a year. He goes very well fresh. He was a horse I was very much against when you know he was. He, was, he became a talking horse a couple of seasons ago when Paul Nichols made it clear that he thought he was well handicapped, and every journalist in the country was tipping him up. Um, for um, the ultimate at Cheltenham. Um, and all you're doing is repeating what a trainer has said in front of 50 people at the same time. You know, you're not clever for just saying that as if you've discovered it. Um, I didn't think he had the experience for that then. And of course, he ended up falling when beaten at the last. Um, he, he ended up being a, a really... Da- and that's the thing. If a trainer says, this horse that no one knows about is really well handicapped, and you go out and you back it at 33 to 1, fair play. You jump one of the big prices. This horse was 6 to 1 anti-post favourite yep. with no experience over fences at all. It's absolutely crazy. And every year, trainers put up horses they think are thrown in to journalists who then forget to ask difficult questions and run off to, to get on anti-post um, at prices which are already cramped. Um, and, then, um, and then, you know, they'll tell all the world about this good thing they find. Um, so, so I was very much against him there. Um, but, you know, uh, Nichols isn't lying as such. Um, it's just you, you have to judge horses on their own merit. Um, and the one issue you have with it, if you know that you've got a horse that's well handicapped based on its home form, the one thing you're giving up against that is experience. Because if you, if you run it a few times before the race you want to win, then that's a chance for, for the horse to prove that he's well handicapped and to go up in the weights. In order to take advantage of, of lenient handicapping, you've got to give up the, the possibility of gaining extra experience or you can blatantly cheat with a horse, which is not the kind of thing that trainers like Paul Nichols will do. Um, so he went to Cheltenham without the requisite experience for a race like that and came a cropper as a result. He's run well in all three starts. Well, there's next two starts. He didn't run particularly well. Uh, in the Silver Cup at Ascot last time out when he had a breathing problem. Um, but obviously he won the Badger Beer um, at Wincanton last year, having dropped to 142 from 145. And he's only back to 146 now. So if Paul Nichols thought he was thrown in off, off 145, he's hardly badly handicapped off 146 if he was right in the first place. And of course, in the meantime, he's grown up a little bit. He's got more experience. Um, 
and we know that he goes well fresh anyway. So I expect him to run well. Um, and for once, the world and his wife doesn't want to back him. So he should hmm. a fair price. Give me a copper, he says, um, with the first time wind up as well, uh, with Sean Bourne on board. Okay, uh, I I completely see the argument, and um, I love the rant about journalists backing horses, the trainers. It's almost as if trainers want to just avoid difficult questions, so they'll throw out... Uh, they throw out a little bit of a... I think this horse might yeah. be well handicapped. <gasps> Wait, what? <laughs> Golden nugget of information. Yeah, we got a similar. I'm not having. I'm not having a a, a dig at, at, at any particular journalist in this, or or journalist as a whole. It's just such a. It's just such a transparent. Take that sometimes. bit out. Take that from, bit out. Um, from from uh, cut, it, cut it at Rory. Trainers. Just ending it. My favorite that. one is every year at Nikki Henderson's um, pre-festival open day. Because as I said about Nikki, I I think he gets very nervous about his best horses. He doesn't want to make predictions about them. Um, and he is much happier talking about horses that he doesn't fancy at all. So every year, one of his horses, he seems to have lost his way. He'll say, oh, don't forget about old Bob's worth, or don't forget about this thing I have, in the, this thing that I have in the champion hurdle. It's 100, 100 to 1, then it should be 500 to 1. And again, everyone thinks, we should, we should definitely should mention that. Nicky seems keen on that. Yes, Nicky's throwing you off, not throwing you off the scent, but he's giving you something that you're going to gobble up and bugger off with. Um, which works for everybody. Everybody's happy. Yeah. Um, whereas Nicky doesn't want to make predictions about the horses he really thinks should be winning or wants to win because that just adds to the pressure he's already feeling. And I, and I completely understand where a trainer in that situation is coming from. They're not deliberately giving you losers. They just feel a lot happier talking about horses who don't give them pressure. Yeah, it's easier to answer a question about a handicapper than it is to answer a question about a potential or already grade one winning horse. Yeah. Lots of trainers and again, do just, that. Just to give another example of that, I'll do this very quickly. I know, I know we're cracking on. Um, and again, no, we're not, done. Not having a dig, not having a dig at anyone. Uh, if you, when Opeti Swan um, landed a gamble on the Coral Cup, there'd been a big market move on him and no one knew anything about him because he'd never run in this country and he'd only run once over hurdles in France. And he'd won. And um, under the rules, a horse who isn't a novice, um, uh, who's gained a handicap mark, is, a, is able to run in those high-end handicaps. Whereas if you were a novice and you'd won on your debut, you wouldn't be eligible. You'd have to run two more times to give the handicapper a chance to assess you. But horses who are not in their first season over hurdles don't have that rule applied to them because according to the BHA handicapping team, it's unfair because there aren't the opportunities for them. Whereas a novice can run in, in any ordinary novice um, hurdle. So Paul knew that and Ganesha's uh, of pity, John Hales knew that. Uh, and I reckon they knew they had a really well handicapped horse on their hands. They didn't want to talk about it. The money was already down. And when several journalists asked about that horse, um, Paul got flustered and said, I don't know why people are going on about this horse. I, I know virtually nothing about it. Uh, you know, he said, he's done a couple of reasonable gallops. He seems like a nice sort, but I don't know where all this attention is coming from. Um, and of course, that's the one that ends up bolting up. Well, it didn't bolt up, but he won the big <laughs> handicap, um, having been heavily biased. And again, I'm not suggesting that that, that was something that, that the trainer was deliberately trying to engineer. Um, just that that was the plan and there's a lot more pressure on that and it's not the kind of horse that trainers want to talk to the press about 
They'd rather keep it under their hat. So they engineer uh, an open day where you can look at all the all the top horses and talk about the things that no one minds you talking about. Um, but if you accidentally ask the wrong question, then the, the mood can change a little bit. Have you ever been in that experience, um, Kate Tracy? Was that of, of being deflected or deflecting? Of being put in a very awkward position where you've asked a question and you start getting... Like, I don't know where all the attention is coming from for the source, <laughs> who then subsequently bolts up at a major festival. Yeah. No, to be fair, no, I, I personally have never experienced that as such. But just as soon as you said Nicky Henderson, I mean, if you saw raffles with Epitont in the Christmas hurdle last year, wasn't that literally his words that he said, don't forget about Fusil raffles? Yes. And they went off, what What was it, joint favourites did they in the end? And bless Fusil just bombed and Epidon obviously bolted up so yep. was, it, as soon as you said him then that was the first one that came to my mind yeah and don't forget the bollock and he gave Lydia his lap in the build up to that as well yeah. could she be a champion yeah. hurdle horse <laughs> no um, right that's it we done um, best bets for the weekend Kay Tracy Ooh, probably for the prices um, Huntsman's son each way in the Caspian Caviar Gold Cup Oh, I like that. Uh, Roy Delargy. Uh Not so much for the prices, but but for the blindingly obvious sepage uh, in the same race. All right, and I'll give you the patent. Uh, damn it, I can't give you the patent. But it'll be a reverse forecast. So Sorry, you've got you, you've got your reverse forecast there, and I'll complete the trifecta with Southfield Stone and Master Tommy Tucker, and I'll give you my nap of the weekend, which is song for someone. Mm. Who wins? Um, that's it. We're done. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully uh, there is plenty of gravy to be found there and we will go back over it all on Monday's show as we review the action with you and uh, looking forward to um, hopefully looking back on uh, an informative weekend's racing with you on Monday's show. From Roy Delargy. Goodbye and good luck who you can read in the Irish field this weekend. Uh, from Kate Tracy. Thank you so much. I'm off to research robot camel jockeys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are you by any chance on pools panels duty this weekend? I am for Sunday, yes. All right. At theraces.com. So uh, pools panel for uh, Kate Tracy's... Um, Play spot selections. It's one of my favorite bets. I almost forgot the name of it there for a second. Uh, and you better believe I'll be doing the play spot for Cheltenham on Saturday. Uh, it's a fantastic weekend's racing. Enjoy it. Hopefully we can make the most of it and uh, we'll dissect it all on Monday's show. Until then, have a great weekend. Talk to you soon. God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by Tote. Try Tote today and get a risk-free bet on the pools.